So welcome to the Meaningful Jobs podcast season two. I'm your host, Adrian, and today we're extremely honored to welcome Jennifer Gershberg, who is a lawyer before uh, and is now a motivational speaker. So how are you, Jennifer? Hope you're doing well. Thank you. I'm well. How are you? Very good. Thank you. So, um, you know, before I ask you, you know, some deeper questions about, you know, your um, meaning of work, um, how you find meaning in the work you do, um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into law in the first place? Sure. Um, my story about what prompted me to go to law school is pretty mm-hmm. common. It's not something I'm terribly proud of, but I um, I really did it because I wasn't sure what else I wanted to do. And that's, I think, a pretty right. common refrain among lawyers. I have yeah. no regrets, though. I think it was a good thing. But mm-hmm. I went to uh, Cornell for my right. undergrad studies, and I was an English major, which is a, a great thing to do. It's sort mm-hmm. of a dying major, which makes me sad. Um, but I... I you know, I'm very glad I did it. And I, I knew I loved to read and write. Um, and I wanted to become a, an advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided I should go to law school and that it would give me transferable skills. I didn't have yeah. this dream my whole life that I would be a lawyer, but I thought it would be mm-hmm. a good degree to have and that it would position me well for whatever I ended up doing. Mm-hmm. So that's what just kind out of, of just out of curiosity, you said you feel like English um, major is kind of like a dying subject. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, now I feel like everyone is pursuing STEM, which mm-hmm. is obviously important. But you know, I read articles all the time that suggest that humanities majors are just really on the decline, mm-hmm. and I. That it makes me upset and concerned, honestly, because there are really important skills that that are developed through reading Mm. actual books and writing and thinking and and qualitative analysis that Mm -hmm. really is harder to develop in STEM fields. Right. But I think more and more people are looking at college as you know, a, a stepping stone is more transactional and less yeah. about becoming um, generally about educated. Learning. Right. Yeah. 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 It's kind of so. Sad. I yeah. didn't really look at it as a means to an end. Mm. I looked at it as, you know, I love to read and write. That's what I'm going to do mm. um, more of in college. And I just took whatever interesting classes I could mm. Um and I wasn't too concerned about, you know, whether it would translate to a particular job. Before I ask but you, that's why uh, I went to law school because I needed. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, you know, before I ask you more about uh, how you're going to law school, um, you touch on a great point about you know university being more and more transactional nowadays. Um, what would you say to, or what advice would you give to young people, um, who? recognize the importance of pursuing the passion, but also needing to balance, you know, having to pay the bills or having a career that can allow them to pay off their student loans and pay off their bills. How to balance that, would you say? Well, right. I mean, that's, it's sort of the million dollar question. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think there are many different ways to make money. Mm-hmm. And um, I also think it's a mistake 
to assume that most people at the ripe age of 18 even know what their passions are. I think too often students sort of force themselves into figuring out their passion really early on because they think that's what they're supposed to do. And Mm -hmm. I think nothing could be further from the truth. And many of them just haven't experienced Mm -hmm. enough of the world yet to really even know what their passions are. So, you know, I think it's important to be practical and to develop skills that will, um, you know, help you get a paying job, but, um, what those skills are can, I think those skills are sort of achievable through many different fields and majors and, so I don't I don't think major is actually all that important, but I know well, a lot of people would disagree with me. So well, I I guess you know your English degree did help you land you know an entry into a prestigious law program. So yeah, can you talk us through that? Well, I, you know, for law school, it doesn't actually matter what you major in at all. They right. really don't care. I think you know most most incoming law students very likely major in like political science or government or history. There are many English majors, yeah. Uh, but there are math majors too and chemistry and Spanish, you know, it really doesn't matter. Um, and I don't really think it's an important part of the law school admissions process. What matters right. are your grades and your law school admission test score. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course your personal statement and recommendations and other factors, but your grades and LSAT score are the, the two biggest factors right. for admissions. Um, what I like about the English major and law school is that they really both taught me how to think critically, how to write well, how to communicate, how mm-hmm. to read and analyze deeply. And those skills are very important and helpful, no matter what career you're yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. And, um, you know, in terms of, you know, practicing law, can you tell us how long you practice law for? And would you say you enjoy this period of your time? I practiced for, I forget, I think five or six years. The reason I'm forgetting is that I I worked at two different firms. I worked at my first firm for a few years yeah. and I really, really enjoyed it and had learned a ton and got great experience. Um, that was a mid-sized firm in Washington, DC. Right. Um, but I I left after a few years to work for a larger firm because I wanted large firm experience and um the opportunity to work on more complex litigation matters. And I only worked at that second firm for about a year, at which point I took some time off um, to tend to some family matters with my child. Yeah. And then um, I, I, I actually worked part time from home a little bit from that firm and then resigned because I didn't feel it was the right time for me at that point. No. Um, um, and I liked it. To your second question, yeah. I, I liked it. I never loved it, but I liked it. I liked, mm-hmm. um, I liked certain aspects very much. I love the collaboration, the strategy, the client work, the expert witness work. I loved the writing and the research, but I did litigation, which by definition is highly adversarial. So, you yeah. know, unfortunately I spent probably 80% of my time dealing with 
dealing in some adversarial capacity um, on things that just weren't that interesting. So I, although I loved certain aspects of law, I wasn't devastated to leave the practice. Right. So, you know, based on my personal experience, I've got friends in law as well, who I would say a lot of them don't actually start out wanting to do law, but only got into it because of the money. And some of them, you know, are I would I would say, you know, even go as far as being depressed because of, you know, the pressure um, you know, of the of the job. Would you say it was a high pressure job for you, even though you know you liked it? Uh, you didn't like it, but you, you you could handle it? I well, so it it was it was high pressure, but a lot of that was due to my own personality. So I am very type A. I tend toward anxiety. I, you know, I I always wanted to do a very good job. So I worked exceptionally hard to do so, and you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, in reality, looking back, I was in my late 20, mid to late 20s when I was practicing law. Um, the rest of my life at that point wasn't that complicated. It wasn't, it wasn't pressure that was too much to handle at that point. Um, but what you say is definitely common. A lot of lawyers really suffer from anxiety and, you know, burnout. And I think that's true in other professions, of course, as well. Um, but there are so many different types of legal jobs. I don't think it's true for all. I think certain positions tend to cause more burnout and stress than others. Um, I think, you know, after your um, stunt in law, you then, you know, went on as a state teacher, uh, well, a state university professor. Mm-hmm. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that experience? Sure. So actually, um, I really did want to get back to work. I love working. Um, yeah. So I took a little time off to deal with some things at home. And then I I decided I wanted to try teaching. So I taught one course at the University of Maryland as an adjunct professor. So it's like, you know, minimal pay. I think I'm sure it's under minimum wage when you do the math, but I taught one class in business ethics to undergraduates just to try it out. And I really loved it. Um, I found that teaching sort of incorporated a lot of what I had loved about law. It was the research, the writing, the communicating, the connecting with others, the strategy, helping others, but it was not adversarial for the most part. There were some great, you know, students begging me for higher grades, but it was never adversarial. Yeah. But it was, it was nice. It was positive. I I felt really good doing it. Um, And so then I worked my way into a full-time position and was there at university of Maryland. I've been there for the last eight years and I ended up, you know, being associate chair of my department and teaching a full load and doing some research as well. So um, that was a really happy experience for me. But I actually recently left uh, Maryland to pursue a new path. (laughs) Which is, I think, you know, full-time motivational speaking uh, role. So yeah, I'm very excited to hear more about, you know, what you're currently doing. Well, particularly since the pandemic, I have been concerned 
in terms of what I've observed among students. So for context, when I was teaching, I had about 200 students each semester. So 400 oh, a year. So, and I taught a re required business law class. Yes. So I saw sort of the whole range of students. And what I've really observed over the last few years is that students' skills and competencies are declining and their anxiety is on the rise. And this is not a huge surprise. I'm sure it's written about a lot. The mental health epidemic is really alarming um, among college students and others. And I realized I could have more of an impact if I were to reach students even outside the University of Maryland. So not just my 400 students a year, but students really throughout the world if I could, um, through this motivational speaking that I'm doing. So I resigned from Maryland. And what I'm doing now is traveling um, across throughout the country mm -hmm. um, and giving talks to groups of high school and college students on topics related to their academic and professional success. So there are certain fundamental skills and competencies that we're just not seeing right developed which need yeah. to be developed so i'm teaching them i'm still teaching it's just in this different capacity different form. yeah yeah but i love it and i i think it's even more important than business law you know um and it's it's fun because i meet so many different types of people and engage with so many different types of groups i also do talks with parents of high schoolers right right because there are certain things parents can be doing before their kids go to college that will help position their students for success once they launch. Right. So um, in terms of, you know, the meaning and satisfaction you get out of this job, um, what would you say is the most, you know, meaningful thing of, of this current capacity? Well, I mean, it's very mission driven. What motivated me to change course and do this speaking was my desire to have more of an impact and a positive impact on more students. So that's the most meaningful for me, um, that I get to engage with students everywhere yeah. and help them develop into more competent, confident young adults. I mean, that to me is sort of the ultimate mm -hmm. fulfillment. Right. You you mentioned, you know, a varying decline in maybe the mental capacity and like the self-confidence in a lot of high schoolers or university students. So, you know, in your um, capacity as a motivational speaker, how do you try and change this trend? Well, I, I personally believe very strongly that competence breeds confidence. Hmm. So, you know, what makes us anxious is when we feel that things, there are outside factors that we cannot control. Right. And so it's really important to take control over what we can and build up our, our skills yeah. and our competencies so that we know whatever comes our way, we can handle. Yeah. Um, so I tell students all the time, you know, it's not about being fearless. That's a lie. Like humans are not fearless by yeah. definition. It's okay to feel afraid of things. What really is 
important is figuring out what you need to do and what you can do to overcome your challenges. So it's not about never feeling afraid. It's about having the skills to back you up so that you can confidently attack your challenges. And that's really what it's all about. So I really focus on the foundational skills and the competence. I teach students how to manage their time, how to study, how to build their personal and professional networks appropriately, how to develop good relationships with mentors, with professors, all of these skills that are so lacking and that are so necessary for them to feel confident as they go forward in their in their schooling and in their you know future jobs. Yeah, I think that especially the networking bit is something that a lot of um, young adults um, struggle. Yes, um, the the pandemic has certainly not helped things at all. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of you know specifically about networking skills. Do you have any tips for, you know, for, for people, not just young adults? Well, yeah, I do. Um, my most important tip is to sort of redefine what networking means. So a lot of people are afraid to network because they don't really know what to do or, um, you know, they're afraid to ask for help or favors or anything else. I always say networking is really first and foremost about Uh, being service-minded, about uh, thinking, how can I help the person in front of me? Not what can they do for me, but what can I do for them? Do I know anyone in my network whom I might introduce this person to who could be helpful to them? Once you start thinking about networking as you doing a service for someone else, the whole landscape changes. It's way less scary it helps you get a handle on your value and your worth. You say, yeah. oh, this is something I can do for you. It leads to authentic connections and right. the payoff is real and enduring and it can happen even years down the road. But the way to network is to develop good relationships mm-hmm. one at a time. That's really all networking is. It's about authentically seeing the person in front of you and understanding what their goals are and thinking, how can I help this person achieve their goals? Because right. they'll be motivated down the road to help you as well. Um, but that's, that's really what networking is all about. And right. I don't think enough people look at it uh, from that angle. Um, so, you know, just, you know, before we end this interview, um, would you have any um, advice for people who are, you know, struggling to find the perfect career um, or even, you know, people who who might seemingly have a good job on paper, but is dissatisfied? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I would say is the perfect career is a myth. Mm. Uh, I don't believe in any many perfect things in life. So, right. You know, a career cannot meet every need a person has. So I think to take a little bit of the pressure off is important. You want to look at a job for what it is, and it's great if it's fulfilling, and it's great if it pays the bills. It's amazing if it does both. But yeah. um, there, it's not written anywhere that you have to feel totally passionate about what you're doing. So I think taking a little bit of the pressure off is 
an important first step. And second, to realize that really anything can change. Like you're in charge, you're in control. So, you know, if you're in a job or a career in which you're unhappy, the first thing I would recommend doing is figuring out which aspects of the job, if any, you enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, what what skills do you have? What do you enjoy doing? And sort of letting those questions be your guide. Um, and if there are things you really hate about your job, maybe thinking about what those are to avoid, <laughs> you know, similar situations in the future. Um, and, you know, there are good resources out there as well. There are career counselors, there are great books, there are good resources out there as well. But I think it's important that people take a little pressure off themselves and realize it's very normal to change course. It's okay to change course. Taking one job doesn't like foreclose a ton of other opportunities. Nothing's really that permanent or that important. So to take it all a little less seriously, and I say this as someone who takes a lot of things very seriously, (laughs) but you know, what I've learned is you cannot always predict where you'll end up. And so it's important along the way, no matter what job you have to build up your skills, learn as much as you can network as much as you can and trust that things will, you know, um, will go as they should. So, um, you know, just uh, lastly, uh, we usually, um, you know, at the final segment of the podcast, we ask our guests to see if, you know, they are doing any hiring for their team because our audience uh, might be interested in connecting uh, with our guests after, you know, the interview. So, you know, would you say that you or your team or anybody around you are hiring or if so, how can they get in touch with you? Well, I will tell them how they can get in touch. Unfortunately, I'm not hiring at the moment. Right. Um but I can give you my information and I'm happy to have anyone follow or get in touch. Yeah. Um, I, my website is www.jgtalks, that's J-G-T-A-L-K-S dot okay. org. Um, I give a lot of free tips on Instagram. So for those listeners who have Instagram, I would definitely recommend following mm-hmm. uh, and sharing. That would be great, of course, as well. My Instagram handle is jgtalks.org. And um, all my contact information as well as on the website. And don't worry, we will include all this information in the episode description. So that oh, thank you. Can- you know, uh, reach out to you if they've got any questions. So again, thank you, Jennifer, you know, for taking the time for this interview and hope to have you on our show again in the future. You're welcome. It was great to be here. Thank you. Have a great day. You too.